Hey guys, welcome back to the Team Titan Show. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast. As you can see, I don't have a physical guest with me today because today we will be interviewing Dr. Leong Ho Nam, who is an infectious disease specialist. And you might have seen him on the news doing a bit of interviews. I certainly have. So it is a great pleasure to have Dr. Leong here to answer some questions about COVID-19. All right, thank you, doctor, for doing this. It is a great pleasure to have you on the Team Titan show and just thank you for your service. Hopefully, after this interview, everyone will get a better understanding of this whole situation. So right now, I want to know, what are you most worried about? Honestly, I'm just worried that this nightmare doesn't end. Every day, every night when I fall asleep, I say, please, may the nightmare end. May there be fewer and fewer cases. And sometimes for the last couple of weeks, the nightmare just doesn't seem to end. And we're getting more and more cases. Right. It tells me one thing. We can do better. We're not doing it enough. Singaporeans, if you want the nightmare to end, we all have to work together. It's not just me. It's not the government. It's not your neighbor. But all of us working together and all this can come to an end. Definitely. Um, what, what do you think we're not doing enough of right now? Ironically, we need to come together by not being together. <laughs> we need to stay separate. Right. You see, the virus has an issue. It has to transmit. It has a use-by date of about three to four weeks. If it doesn't meet any susceptible host, no one which it can cause an infection to, then it will die naturally inside the human body. So, which means if I have the virus, for example, I don't meet anyone except my own family members, then the virus can only jump to my family members and after that, it will disappear. It will be gone. However, it requires me to not go out, not meet anybody. In order for us to work together, we have to stay apart. When we stay apart, the virus can't make the jump and then we actually control the virus, we reduce the reproduction, and then we get rid of COVID in Singapore. COVID kaput. Yes. I would love to get rid of COVID because it, it is certainly affecting a lot of people's natural day-to-day -day, um, routines, right? So when do you think this will all be over? For Singapore, I hope that this will be over in about six weeks to eight weeks. And thereafter, we have a low period. When I say low period, I'm expecting less than five cases a day. And hopefully, we do see periods where there are zero cases a day. However, Singapore will never be clear of it. Or rather, the whole world will never be clear of it if there are still pockets of infection all throughout the world. Why, that, why do I say that? People who are traveling from a country with poorer resources, where there's still active replication of the COVID virus, will come in through Singapore or through other countries, through land or through sea, and they will come in as relatively well patients with no illness. They'll come in and they may infect the population, putting us at risk. Which means even if six to eight weeks later when we are well, there might be ripples of cases again and again because of cases that are brought in from overseas. That will unfortunately extend my nightmare, your nightmare, Singapore's nightmare. Oh yeah, that, that, that's, that, does, <laughs> that does sound like a nightmare. Um, so, I mean, so basically what you're saying is this COVID may be here to stay for quite a while, right? I mean, even if cases may drop, it sounds like life will no longer go back to how it was like before. I mean, I don't even know when, when I would be able to travel or when everyone else would be able to travel. 
is there a certain timeline which uh, you can give us a better idea and better understanding of? I think all of us are itching to travel. <laughs> I want to get out of Singapore. I want to do something else. I need my beach. I need my tequila. I really want the sound of the sea waves coming and hitting yes. me. Unfortunately, this will take some time. I think we are going to talk about a Lao period in the next six to eight weeks. And thereafter, we're going to see the uh, rest of the world. We're talking about Europe, we're talking about America, where the numbers will start dwindling. And I do hope they make use of the hot summer to control the virus. What happens thereafter will be a big unknown. We're going to crystal ball and crystal ball gaze here now. In somewhere in November, we're going to enter into the Northern Hemisphere winter, which means cases may come about again. Remember, the virus actually loves the cold and loves the dry air. And when that happens, it survives in the environment better. And then in the cold, people tend to huddle together, come to close places together, which means there is a chance for the virus to hit back at us. Okay. History tells us, History tells us the Spanish flu came in three waves over three years, each one slightly less than the other. So I don't think we might be out of it by the end of the year. There's a good chance that we're going to have other, P other cases coming again towards the end of the year. And it really depends on us working together. For sure. So I actually have a bunch of myths that I would like to debunk with you if you could help me. And one of them actually is that the hot summer will be able to lower down the cases. Is that true? I think there is some truth to that. Okay. In the cold weather, people huddle together and they cross-infect each other. Number two, the virus lives better in the cold weather compared to the warmer weather. And number three, it also likes the drier weather compared to humid weather. So if you think about the outside environment of Singapore, anywhere in Southeast Asia, the hot weather, the humidity helps to get rid of the virus. But yet, we are doing a not-so-ideal job with it. We're still having lots of cases. And this will explain to you why there were so many cases in Wuhan, there were so many cases in America and Europe. But the warm weather will help them. Come May and June, I think the numbers in the Northern Hemisphere will come down. Australia and New Zealand, being in the Southern Hemisphere, will swing and show us the opposite because they are going into winter. It is imperative that they control their situation now so there are less cases come winter. Now, what they're going to go through will be what the Northern Hemisphere will be going through in November. So it gives us an idea, a preamble of what's to come in November for the rest of the world. Okay, got it, doctor. Um, I have a other bunch of myths. <laughs> uh, let, let's go with this one. Can vitamin C help us cure the virus? Vitamin C, really very sexy idea. Yes, 30 to 50 years ago. Vitamin C was thought to be important in the formation of the interferons and the different immunity that drives against antiviruses. Very sexy idea, but 30 to 50 years ago. Uh -huh. Fortunately, trials have actually gone on to show that vitamin C doesn't work. In fact, if you take too much vitamin C, you may end up with problems with too much acidic urine to forming stones. Now, if you were to ask me what vitamin is there, uh, the truth is 
no real vitamin will protect you against coronavirus. But there's one vitamin that may help you, and that's vitamin D. I use the word may because it's not solid data. Uh, it's like having an extra tuition to help me with my mathematics before I go for my exams. If you have adequate vitamin D and you fall sick, chances of you doing uh, well will be better. But if you have low vitamin D and you end up sick, chances of you uh, going to intensive care, being sicker will be higher. So if anything, a good dose of sunshine, uh, get your vitamin D up or take some oral tablets of it and you'll be fine. Okay, well, th that's interesting because I myself have been thinking about um, boosting my immunity. So um, would working out also help with um, boosting my immunity? And I'm just thinking about what could um, someone do to prepare themselves for this and to lessen the chances of getting inf infected? Uh, Jin Hao, that's a very good question. All of us ought to keep fit. We ought to stay healthy, eat healthy. And when I say stay healthy, I will mean do some form of exercise at the same time. You need to get used to some breathlessness so that when you actually get COVID infection or any infection, the stress will be on you. You're getting used to this breathless, which you are trained for in exercise, so that when the actual event happens, when the actual infection happens, you will be able to better cope with it. Got it. Now, I, if, if you are blessed like me to be on the obese side, I would encourage you, this is the perfect excuse to lose weight. I know you can't go outside and jog and do your runs or do your cycling. Then you have to do exercises in your home, watch your diet and try to lose some weight. The best analogy is of someone who's obese, who has pneumonia. You could end up worse. The easiest illustration is this. Try lying flat on the floor. The surface of the floor is hard. And then try getting a sack of rice, 20 kilograms that's put on your chest. Try breathing with that. Okay. Try coughing with that. You're going to have a lot of trouble. And this is what obesity does. Makes it difficult for you to breathe. And should you get pneumonia, you are less likely to be able to clear the phlegm, clear the infection. It's going to stay with you longer. Obesity is not a kind word in COVID era. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that I didn't know. So I'll be preparing some rice bags after this interview. You're, you're, you're a very skinny one. Yeah, you don't no. have to worry about this. I have questions about mental health because people have been cooped at home for a long period of time, right? So how does this affect one's mental health? Because I actually did a poll on Instagram and a lot of them are saying that they are feeling anxiety. I understand that anxiety is a word that's thrown around pretty easily these days, but how would one cope with anxiety at home? Or just feeling I, uneasy? That's difficult because no man is an island. All of us survive and live with social contacts. And social contacts means meeting each other, not just by phone, but actually holding hands, shaking hands, sharing a drink together. That physical proximity is actually very therapeutic. I think it's really challenging for everyone, uh, young people or old people or anyone who's used to a, a very active social lifestyle to be cooped up at home. I think we have to try to think of other means, other ways to deal with this uh, issue of loneliness and 
we actually, there's a medical term for it. We call this cabin fever. You literally go crazy because you're stuck inside a cabin. So what are some of the things which I would do is number one, do a form of exercise. I think exercising will help. You do stationary exercises rather than running around. Or if you're incredibly uh, entrepreneur, you can try running, doing the marathon on the balcony. Number two, you can also try to um, have a regular planned schedule of uh, eating and sleeping. So there's a certain routine to it. So you look forward to the next event. Number three, do have your calls on social media. You could post on Instagram or whatever is happening or make a video of yourself, do yourself something silly, post it on YouTube. Um, I would also use the opportunity to read and catch up what's happening to other people. I thank God that we have social media now to link us up together. Imagine this happening in 2003, SARS. Jianhao, oh, uh, no. you may not be really <laughs> born, but those were days where you had only SMS mm -hmm. and phone calls. And if we were cooked up during those days, it would have been worse. Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I can't imagine life without Wi-Fi if I was at home for, wow, six, <sighs> six more weeks. This is going to be six more yeah. weeks. Yeah, but sorry, you were it's saying? It's going to be terrible. Uh, so I, I would strongly encourage everyone to make use of technology to link up with others. And I've, I've I have the chance to explore this with you. Look, between us, there's easily 10, 20 kilometers, but yet we are doing this meeting together quite successfully sharing. Uh, I get to see you quite clearly and you do of me. Yep. And then, um, and even before the show started, we exchanged some jokes. <laughs> hey, we're take chilling it out. We can do this together. Not to focus so much on the fact that you can't go out, you can't get your hair cut, can't get your bubble tea, but instead focus that, we have new toys and new things which you can experiment with. And you can still order in your food. They will have it delivered to you. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, the, the food thing has, has been great. Um, but yeah, uh, there, there is one question that... Um, it, it's, a bit, it's a bit silly, but I would really like to hear this from you because um, will only old people die from the virus? No. Unfortunately, even the very young can die from the virus. We stratify in terms of risk. The older you are, the greater the risk of you dying. But the younger you are, the chances of you surviving through will be very good. In general, anyone who's less than 40 years old have very, very low chance of dying. Then why do the elderly die from this illness? There are a few reasons. Number one, the immunity is a little bit different from that of a young person. The response to the virus is different. There's too much an exuberant response and you end up scarring, damaging the lungs. And your lungs can't breathe, your lungs can't work. You develop other problems. You need the machine to help you to breathe and you get infections. Number two, when you actually, at 60 or 70 years old, you don't just enter 60, 70 years old in a pristine condition. You're going to come with a little bit of high blood, a little bit of diabetes and heart problems. We know that this COVID infection does stress the heart a little. Uh, it causes the risk of heart attack to go up. Now, a recent new finding is that it tends to form clots as well. Patients with COVID infections tend to form clots in the various vessels. Imagine a clot forming in the heart vessels 
or in the brain, you will get a heart attack or a stroke. So the elderly, unfortunately, are at risk. Can we do anything about the elderly? We literally keep them far away. Physical distancing helps tremendously. If the virus is here and you're more than two meters away, the elderly can say, nah, 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 you can't touch me. That's what we do. <laughs> Keep the elderly away and the virus is all far, far away. So I've, I've kept my parents in a house. They have their helpers with them. I don't visit them. I might bring something. I leave them at the, uh, at the front of the door for their food, but I don't get to see them. That's the way to keep your elderly safe. And eventually, you, I, we will come out of COVID-19. We will come out stronger. When that time comes, our parents can come out again and things will be just fine. Speaking of the elderly and staying at home, are you afraid that there will be other issues that may arise from staying at home and not meeting each other than, than the COVID-19? Because yes, I mean, COVID is serious, but what if there's other serious issues that could come up? I have have you gone through any of that or would you be concerned about that? You're talking about the elderly or ourselves, the young people? Ev- everyone in general, but I'm speaking, I guess speaking in terms of perhaps not visiting my grandma for two, two, mm. two months um, and how that may impact her, especially for those who spend almost every weekend or even every day with their yeah. grandparents. So it's definitely a change of routine and maybe yeah. you could suggest how to okay. deal with that. Now, for the elderly, meeting them, greeting them, saying hello, or the occasional hug means a lot to them. So when they are, there's a break in routine, there's a change, it makes it really, really difficult for the elderly. Now, we will need to bypass that. We need to overcome that. And the only solution I can think of is to actually get them engaged through visual communications. Uh, So you open up the camera and start talking to them and then you hug them and you actually do little kisses on the screen uh, so that they appreciate it. Again, explain that why you can't come and most of the elderly appreciate it. They will listen to the news, they'll understand the need for social distancing, go into the physical hug thing, go a big smack on the TV on the screen, and then this would show up very nicely and grandpa, grandma might just be able to overcome that. Now, you can do something else too. You know what they like, you know what they like to eat, then ordering for them. And then when the food gets delivered, you give a call, say, hey, grandpa, grandma, this is your favorite. Okay, as you eat it. And then you could have the share here as well. You could do it like the Korean or the Japanese way. We enjoy watching each other eat. That's actually a very good advice because as much as we've seen a little uh, bit of cases of some millennials and Gen Zs going out, right? I actually have a lot of friends whose grandparents are sneaking out of the house, going out just to take a stroll or meeting their friends. And, you know, some may even be playing mahjong. So if, if you could give some advice, how can I get my grandparents to stay at home? I think it's really difficult. I mean, honestly, how many grandparents actually listen to grandchildren? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to tell you, I have problems talking to my parents. Uh, I will have problems speaking to my grandparents if they are still around. So what I would do instead is this, reiterate that 
uh, grandpa, grandma, the situation is very grave now. If you go out, you may actually pick up an infection. So can you stay at home? Whatever you need, tell me, I will order it in for you. Then number two, you will do actually checks on them periodically. So they will know that I'm being monitored. And you throw in your grandchild with your uh, with your sad eyes and say, Grandpa, Grandpa. Okay, and then use that. Cudgel them, talk to them, coax them, and play around with them. And you see, grandparents have a soft spot and their soft spot is for you. They will listen to you if you do it, the sweet old grandchild, sweet old uh, granddaughter, grandson way. And we might just be able to laugh them through this occasion, the next occasion, and eventually until the end of COVID-19. All right. Thank you, doctor. Um, I have a question and this is a little, more, a little bit more serious. Um, so based on the studies that have been conducted, how does the virus spread? Because I am still a little bit confused about how it spreads. We've seen uh, some about touching surfaces of things, some, of course, um, coming in contact with people. So how are the ways that this virus could spread among people? This virus spreads primarily by two ways. The first way is actually through respiratory tract. When I breathe in and out, small amount of virus comes out. This amount of virus that comes out, we expect it to travel up to about one meter. The evidence so far is for one meter, but with science, this may change. Now, if I were to cough, if I were to sneeze, the droplets in my mouth will fly further. We're talking of up to two meters. So if I stand with one to two meters, I may risk getting infected by the virus. The other way around is actually through touch, through contact. So when I cough and sneeze and I use my hands to cover, the virus goes onto my hands. I go towards the door and I open the door, the virus to leave the traces on the door handle. The next person that comes along, even one to two hours later, can touch the door handle and the virus ends up on the hands. Wow. That's fine if it doesn't touch the hands, the face, okay. the eyes. But if you were to touch his eyes and his nose, then the infection happens. So it transmits primarily by droplets, but also spreads by contact through a third-party object, door handle, a cup, or drink. All right, so Dr. Leong, is it possible that COVID-19 could actually be spread through surfaces like a third-party object, let's say my delivery, my food delivery? In theory, yes, you may, but I think that's really, really unlikely. Nonetheless, if I were to handle any parcels, any food, I think it's good practice to wash your hands after collecting the item before you eat. Keep your hands clean before you eat. I'm going to be like a nagging father. Wash hands before you eat. All right. Okay, so I, I have a question. Um, if I do not show any symptoms of COVID-19, should I still get myself checked? No. At this point in time, if you have no symptoms, we don't need to check. It will be tantamount to having a blank, a, a wasted shot. You see, the reagents and the resources uh, to do testing are limited. 
is imported from other countries such as in Korea, Germany, America, and the companies, the countries which are actually undergoing through this COVID-19 now will be like Korea, Germany, and America. We're going to have trouble in getting a, un, uh, a bottomless pit of these reagents. The government currently, recomm currently recommends that everyone gets tested only where there's symptoms. Now, I would expand it slightly more. If you are in contact with someone who has COVID-19, uh, who was just recently diagnosed, you feel a little bit of a scratchy throat, you feel a little bit of a cough, or a very good useful sign is actually you lose your sensation of smell. When that happens and you've been exposed to someone with COVID-19, go forward and get tested, even though the symptoms may be mild. Because there are many, many patients with COVID-19 that have very mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. So do it when you have symptoms or do it when there's an epidemiological link. That means you are associated with someone who has COVID-19. Got it. Got it. Is it possible for someone who has recovered from COVID-19 to get reinfected with the virus again? That is really a very popular myth, Jin Jianhao. Yeah. So I don't think so. Number one, the COVID-19 is a virus and the body mounts immune responses to it. Once you mount an immune response to it, you have antibodies. It's like ammunition, machine guns that will just kill the virus. And in fact, they've taken these machine guns from recovered patients, given it to infected patients, and guess what? They recover. These ammunitions can be transplanted from a healed person to one who's infected and save his lives, which means that machine guns or antibodies actually work. Now, they've also done something really terrible. They've infected macaques. Macaques are mammals, monkey-like, that would with COVID-19. And what they did was, after a while, after the macaques have recovered, they tried to infect the macaques again, and they don't get infected. So that works very well. Then why did the myth come about? It came about because people who supposedly had COVID-19 at the beginning recovered, fell sick again, and then had testing and found to have COVID-19. We have a couple of explanations for it. The first diagnosis when he was diagnosed with COVID-19 may have been a false positive. False positive? How could that be? Of course, mistakes happen. Lab mistakes happen. In Singapore, we require two tests to be positive before we call this a true positive. If you remember, Malaysia, Westerdam, the, the luxurious ship, uh, cruise liner that was docked in Cambodia, one of the passengers came out, went to Malaysia and was tested on the first round to have COVID-19. But on the second testing, it was found to be negative. Malaysia did the right thing two tests to really show that a person has COVID-19. In this case, they didn't have. Now, the second reason which, um, the second reason which you must remember is the virus will excrete in the nose, excrete in the gut for several weeks to come. But the virus is actually dead. I have the virus now because it's a dead virus. It's a, not even a zombie. It's gone, kaput. Okay. But... It is still found in me. It doesn't mean that I can spread to other people or is infected to me, but it just happens to be there. 
Okay, so on, on this topic, I have a question which may sound silly to you. I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't even know what it means. But I've heard that the virus may mutate. I don't really know what that means, but it does sound scary. So what are your thoughts on that? Will this virus mutate? Okay, uh, first rule uh, first rule in the program is this. There's no such thing as silly questions. It's only okay. silly not to ask questions. Okay. The virus is what we call an RNA virus, and it's single-stranded. I'm going to give an analogy. You and I, we are double-stranded DNA. If my body tries to make two heads, there'll be a mutation that occurs, but this second strand here will prevent the mutation to occur and make sure my second head doesn't pop up. Okay, so we grew into a lot of checks. In the case of the RNA virus, it's only single-stranded and will offer lots of mutations constantly all the time. In fact, it mutates simply because it's RNA, it mutates more frequently than DNA. So as the virus is spread on from generation to generation to generation, first person, second person, third person, fourth person, you can imagine there'll be a little bit of mutation that happens along the way. So, and then as you mutate, then this is passed on to the next generation, and after that, passed on to the next generation and next generation. I'll give you an example. My name is Leong. My, my last name is Leong. My wife's last name is Lim. If she wants to, she takes on the name of Lim Leong. And thereafter, our children that comes along, or the children now, children that comes along could call Lim Leong instead of just Leong. Then Lim Leong, then after that, they marry on, becomes Lim Leong Li. And after Lim Leong Li, becomes Lim Leong Li Tan. And as you realize each generation goes on, you add on a little bit of a difference. So if you go back all the way to four generations ago, you find a Leong and you find a Lim. But four generations later, you get a Leong, Lim, Li, and Tan in this combination. But it will be slightly different from another family that has Lim, Leong, Tan, Li. The sequence is a little bit different. So what's this mutation thing about? It reflects the fact that the virus is constantly changing. How is it helpful? It tells you where the root, how did the mutation occur? You can trace it back to the parents, the grandparents, the first generation virus. What does it mean to you and me? Nothing. Okay. The virus hasn't mutated enough to make a difference in the infectivity, in the severity. And certainly the antivirus, uh, should it develop or the vaccines to develop, it doesn't make any difference. It's almost as if I just changed my hair, but you still recognize who I am. Right, so it's impossible to get reinfected by a mutated virus. No, the virus hasn't mutated so significantly to be a totally new virus. Okay, that's great to hear. <laughs> Is it possible to recover from a COVID-19 infection without any medication? Absolutely. You see, there's one factor that determines that whether you need any medication or not. And that factor is called youth. The younger you are, the better chance you don't need it at all. So if you are less than 40 years old, chances are you only need air and water. Okay, You don't need internet, etc. Okay, <laughs> You will recover well and that will be perfect. The older you are, the risk of you requiring something will be higher. So put it the other way, 
all of us, most of us, is expected to recover from COVID with no specific intervention. I don't need to take any medications. I don't need to take any antivirus. Perhaps I'll take a couple of paracetamols just to make myself feel comfortable. I certainly will not exert myself. I'll try not to do the marathon on the balcony. I will just chill out, relax a little bit if I'm feeling unwell. And certainly go and see a doctor if I'm not improving. Okay, so how would you determine if a COVID-19 patient requires to go to the ICU? We would, when does a COVID-19 patient need to go into the ICU? It really depends on a few factors. Number one, the breathing. Is he able to breathe with room air or does he need a bit of supplemental oxygen? Or have we given him 100% oxygen and he's still not coping? In such a situation, we'll need the machines to help him to breathe and that's where he goes into ICU. Some of the patients ends up with very low blood pressure. When that happens, we would give medications to support and lift up the blood pressure and this will help the person. Remember, a lot of the people who goes who develops complications are the older age group individuals. They may end up with a heart attack. They may end up with a stroke. They may end up with unexpected complications where you need to have extra care, extra monitoring, and that's where they go into intensive care unit. Now, so so far, majority of the patients are recovering well. Uh, despite having to go into intensive care unit. Again, it is the very old, the elderly with uh, comorbidities that makes it difficult for them to come out of it. Now, the, for those people who have been reading around the topic, you realize that the critical care units or the ICU beds are the most important precious commodity there is in the whole country. If you saturate all the ICU beds, then a person who's truly sick will not have the chance to come in, make use of facilities, and with that, death rates goes up. It is imperative thus that we keep our ICU beds relatively empty so they can cope with a sudden upsurge in numbers and survival, the outcomes, will be much better for the country, for the individual with COVID-19. Okay, so I have a baby who is seven months old. Should I be worried? In, theoretically, uh, we would always be concerned about infections in children, young children. But we're a little bit surprised with COVID-19. The young children, the very young, seems to do reasonably well. They do much better than someone of my age. So I wouldn't be particularly worried. But nonetheless, I'll be watchful over the child and make sure that the child doesn't have a significant fever, the child is eating well, and is playing well. Of course, check the poop and the pee regularly. If that happens well and fine, I think your child will be okay. In general, the rule of the thumb is this. Children do much better with COVID-19 than the older parents or the grandparents. Youth, it has a protection. All right. So when are we likely to obtain a virus for COVID-19? I mean, it's taking vaccine, a while. Yeah, a vaccine. Okay. The vaccine will take quite a bit of time. You realize the vaccine has to be safe for the individual and shown to be effective with no significant side effects before the vaccine can be marketed. 
I'm going to take you through the stages. The first stage is actually with animal models, the rats, where they'll give it and make sure it doesn't kill the rat and make sure that the right antibodies are developed. Then they try on a small group of healthy individuals to make sure there's no real side effects from the vaccine. Then they go into a larger group of people in the country with active infections. And hopefully it shows uh, that it's safe, uh, there's immunity that develops. That's phase two. And the last phase, which is phase three, is to do a large trial, many individuals in a place with active COVID infection. And we'll see between those who have taken it and those who have not taken it to see how many actually benefits. Then you know the differential advantage by taking the vaccine. So between the start, designing the vaccine, going into the animals, right down to the end when the vaccine trials are finally reported, it's going to take about 12 months. Even if that's approved and that's fine, it will take several months between giving the vaccine, manufacturing it, and having that hundreds of millions or billions of doses delivered to the shores of Singapore or anywhere else in the world. Got it. So do we need the vaccine to get rid of COVID-19 for good? Or is there another way around it? Okay. We always touted the vaccine to be a cure-all situation. Get vaccinated, immunity goes up, we are impervious to the virus, and everything will be well. But we don't think we can last till then. The reason is it's going to take at least 12 to 18 months, which is a very long period. And if we allow the body and the whole world to go through COVID-19 continuously for the next 12 to 18 months, we will lose a lot of lives. And there's a big, huge financial burden on yourself, myself, on the countries. And I can imagine many people, especially the poorer, lower social economic strata of the country, they will suffer. So we have to think of an alternative. And the alternative is what I call the search, isolate, and quarantine which is what we're doing in Singapore and in many other countries. We identify people who are infected, quarantine those who are in close contact, and prevent the virus from spreading further. When you do it this way, you can actually control and prevent new cases. Tall order. Remember, we just talked about how easy it is to transmit the virus. I want you to know it has been done successfully. It's done successfully in China, I am so proud of the Wuhan city. It's been done in Hong Kong, and we are seeing very low numbers in Taiwan. If you remember, even South Korea, with the large outbreak in one of their provinces, they've controlled down to just a trickle of cases. What it tells you is this. We may not need the vaccine. Having the vaccine is great. It is a seatbelt. It is a safety guard situation but through brute force, sure will determination and cooperation by staying apart, staying away, we have another alternative source of control of the virus. Singapore, the whole world, we can do it. We can all work together by staying apart. The further we stay apart, the more successful we'll be and the more kaput COVID-19 is. Awesome. I, I want to end it there. I want to end it there, but I have one really good question from one of the fans. And um, this person asks, if the cases were to spike up, do we have enough facilities? Okay, uh, 
this is Singapore, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. At this point in time, if the cases is to spike up, we need to look realistically. If it's the young people that are getting infected, uh, like the dormitory workers at this point in time, we have the capabilities, we have the facilities, and I can tell you, every single doctor in Singapore will put on our suits, put on our armor, and we will nurse each and every one of them well. The problem happens if a lot of the people becomes very sick who are elderly. They require intensive care unit. It will be a major drain and strain on the intensive care unit's base. When that happens, I assure you, even the private sector doctors and the hospitals will come on board to help heal everyone. We have a little bit of margin left, but please don't test the margin. We can still cope at this point in time, and we, I think, and we are confident we can cope with the uptick in dormitory cases. But eventually, we still need your help to knock this COVID virus back to its source. Okay. Uh, one last thing, doctor. Can you just tell everyone how important it is to wear a mask when you're outside? Okay. Science has shown us something unusual about COVID-19, that it can spread before the onset of symptoms. Before I have my cough, my fever, my aches, I will be spreading up to four days beforehand. In other words, the individual you meet that's carrying the virus is actually a Trojan horse. You can't identify the individual. And honestly, this is how Singapore didn't quite maintain the mark. Asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic people were spreading the virus all around. It seems very helpless. We can't do anything. Since we can't identify a Trojan horse, the answer is wrong. You can take the control back into your hands by wearing a mask. When you wear a mask, you prevent the virus from coming onto your body. It is very effective, especially with the surgical mask, and you can filter off. You can go out, run your errands, and in turn, not get sick. Surgical mask is taking responsibility in your own hands, taking the control back into your own hands, getting yourself protected for yourself and for Singapore. So it's imperative that you protect yourself from Trojan horses and you wear a mask so that others cannot infect you. That is our very important line of defense, not the first, but certainly the second or the third. Get masked up, block COVID-19. You know all organic products, your sandwich, your eggs, even your instant noodles, that's a use-by date. Do you realize that the virus also has a use-by date? When I say use-by date, I mean infect-by date. If the virus was to come onto me, I have to try to infect somebody else within three to four weeks. If I fail to do that, the virus will die within me. Now, if all of us have that mentality, all of us presume we are infected now. For the next three to four weeks, we do not go out, do not meet anyone, and give no chance for the virus to jump across to anyone. If everyone in the Singapore does that, I tell you, COVID-19 will be history. We will have the fastest wipeout of the virus in the whole world. So make use of this. 
COVID-19 has an expiry date. For the next six weeks in the whole uh, circuit breaker episode, stay at home, don't go out, don't meet anyone physically, use the used by date by the virus and let it expire inside your own body. You have done us proud, you've done Singapore proud, and we got rid of COVID-19 together. Awesome. Thank you, doctor. I know you're busy and I don't want to take too much of your time, but I'm just going to have one last question for you, I promise. So what about this current crisis gives you the most hope? I'm actually very, very encouraged by the multitude of Singaporeans who have come forth in unison. We've heard of videos, songs, we see funny little antics that put up everyone encouraging each other. COVID-19 tried to tear down Singapore. It hits the social fabric of it and splits us apart. Do not allow us to meet. But we are seeing it otherwise. The strength of Singapore is not us coming together in NDP. It's not us coming together, makaning, sharing our stories over our favourite hot pot. No, it's not. It's about having the same ideals, the same dream, the same fervent chase pursuit of health of ourselves and of the country. And what brings me to tears is I see it happening in many, many Singaporeans. We are disappointed, no doubt, by the cases that comes. I can tell you the will, the strength of all these individuals together will surmount any and all problems with COVID-19. We will come together, okay, by staying apart. And when we stay apart, we don't have one voice, but we have multitude of voices, many people singing the lion's roar, the roar that will chase COVID-19 out of it. Singaporeans, work with me. Work with me and we will chase COVID-19 out of our shores. All right. Thank you, doctor. And thank you for your time. Are you time. encouraged? I am right. encouraged. I'm motivated, man. I'm motivated to stay home. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so thank you, Dr. Leong, for taking the time to answer some of our questions. We really appreciate you coming to the Team Titan show, and hopefully we didn't take too much of your time. Thank you so much, and thank you for your service, Dr. You are an amazing man. Amazing. So, yeah, I hope you guys now have a better understanding of the whole COVID situation from a doctor's point of view. And you know what? Look how sweet he is. Look how positive Dr. Leong is. Don't disappoint him, guys. Just stay home, all right? And look, I'm sure you guys know it's a tough time for everyone as we go further into this circuit breaker. I mean, before I recorded the previous podcast, I said there was 14 days left. The moment I released it, bam, 41 days. But hey... Uh, let's just appreciate all the efforts that the government is doing to take care of us. To I mean, everyone is doing their best here. No one wants this to happen, all right? So just please continue to support each other, all right? Your family, your loved ones, emotionally, even if they are not physically there with you, just show a f some form of love, all right? And connect with them through online meeting platforms. I mean, that's how I constantly stay connected with my family, my team, and just checking up on them in terms of how they are doing, but also to give them emotional support as well and whenever they need it. And in fact, I have actually managed to catch up with a lot of my friends whom I usually wouldn't 
you know, catch up with and yeah, friends all around the world. So I guess that's a positive. But yeah, like Dr. Leung said, let's come together by staying apart. So remember to stay positive and continue to stay at home as much as you can. And hey, let's get through this together. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Team Titan show. Click here to subscribe and click here to watch our previous episode. All right. Thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you next time. Peace out.